as we turn to the reading of God's Word. Today is the second week of our series, Revealing God. Each Sunday, uh, our lesson will be coming from the, somewhere within the six chapters of our weekly New Testament 2021 reading. This week, our reading began with chapter 7 of John's Gospel. As Jesus leaves Galilee for the festival of the tabernacle in Jerusalem. He's already been embroiled, embroiled in conflict with the Jewish leadership there, and they are watching and waiting for his arrival. Our lesson occurs one morning in the temple courts. As we prepare to read God's word, let us pray, seeking God's illuminating grace. Guide us, O God, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John in the seventh chapter. We begin at verse 53. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one com condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For more than five decades, from 1951 to 2008, Paul Harvey, with his velvety voice and matter-of-fact cadence and gentle storytelling, was a constant presence six days a week on ABC radio, with as many as 24 million listeners tuning in each week over 1,200 radio stations in the United States. Beginning in 1976, though, Paul Harvey began hosting an additional program. Its title was The Rest 
of the story in which he gave his listeners a backstory to people and things and events, both famous and not so famous. Like a delightful history teacher, Harvey turned the news into narrative and entertainment. The rest of the story presented stories about little-known or forgotten facts on a variety of subjects, always with some key element left untold until right at the end. His broadcast always included the tagline, right at the end, and now you know the rest of the story. Our lesson today has much in common with a backstory from Paul Harvey. Elements are, are missing from it, and we'll touch on some of those. And this narrative has surprising twists and turns and an extraordinary, extraordinary ending. The only thing missing is the tagline, and now you know the rest of the story. Near dawn, while Jesus is teaching a Bible study in the temple courts, some Sadducees and Pharisees bring a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. Caught in the act, this lynching, and that's what it is. It's a lynching because there's no trial, and this group is taking justice into their own hands this lynching seems to be the result of a trap, a trap deliberately set. And we might ask, where is the man? Where is this woman's partner in sin? Where is he? The law is clear. The man, as well as the woman, was equally subject to the crime of adultery. And the leaders say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Both Jesus and the woman are in a dangerous dilemma, a life and death dilemma. According to Jewish law, adultery was one of the most serious sins, and death was the penalty for adultery. The woman knew it, Jesus knew it, everyone knew it. And we shouldn't miss the despair and the anguish and the shame and the hopelessness of this woman as she is dragged before Jesus. The mob implies that the law is clear. But Jesus, what do you say? It's far from a sincere inquiry. Scripture tells us it's a trap. The nature of the trap isn't 100% certain, but if Jesus says stone her, he would be accused of canceling action that is against Roman law. And if he said do not stone her, then he could be charged for offending the law of God. Either answer would prove to cause Jesus tremendous difficulty. And we know that Jesus' views are already known, well known. The accusers are counting on Jesus not to endorse the provision of the law, but the lenient view. It would seem best, wouldn't it, if Jesus just 
made no decision at all. But if Jesus decides not to make any decision, then this woman most assuredly will be lynched. So what did Jesus do? He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. The word that is translated right could also mean draw. So what did he draw or what did he write? Some have suggested that he was writing verses from Scripture. Maybe Exodus 23, 1. You shall not join hands with the wicked to act as a malicious witness. Others have suggested that he was writing a list of sins. Maybe pride and greed and wrath and envy and lust. Or writing down the commandments. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. And so on. But we don't really know. But as he writes, his silence is interpreted as weakness. And the accusers, they, they press in like vicious dogs with a barrage of additional questions. And they have him right where they want him. He's in a no-win situation. And they gloated as they awaited which destructive response he would make. But in the face of all the questions, Jesus straightened up and said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, Jesus stooped down and began to write with his finger in the ground. Let's be clear. Jesus has specifically directed the stones to be thrown. But he has limited who is able to throw them. Miraculously, the significance of Jesus' words in his writing or drawing, they sink in. It's as good a miracle as turning water into wine and feeding 5,000 with five small barley loaves and two fish or, or walking on water. His words, they completely disarm the mob. The consciences of all are touched. And the mob is now no longer interested in the woman's sin but their own. The movement of the Spirit of God in their hearts of accusers brings self-examination. And what's so amazing, it's right in the heat of this life and this death confrontation. The accusers begin to reflect on their own character, their own motives, their own actions. And the accusers become the accused. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Scripture tells us the importance of self-examination and even warns that the lack of self-examination leads to pride and to self-delusion. But self-examination isn't easy 
due to humanity's, our fallen nature. Psalm chapter 12, verse... Uh, Psalm chapter 19, excuse me, verse 12 even asks, who can discern his errors? It's difficult. It can be challenging to be honest with ourselves and to dig deep into the depth of our heart and our motives and our actions. Isn't it just so much easier to blame someone else? But the, dirt, the purpose of deep self-examination is to lead us to God and to help us to change our hearts and our lives. To the Galatians in chapter 6, Paul writes, For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. Scripture provides numerous examples of self-examination from the before the entry into the promised land. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, just before Saul is crowned king, and at the time of the exile, and after the return of the exile, and by David, and by Job, and by the psalmist, by the prodigal son, by Jesus' disciples, and, and so many more. In today's lesson, self-examination and a growing self-awareness caused those who heard Jesus to just walk away. The continuous tense of the verb go away brings to mind a procession. A group of accusers kept going out, the oldest ones first. One by one, they walked out until Jesus is left alone with the woman. The, wor the word could also be translated abandon. And Jesus turns to this abandoned woman who and asks her, where are her accusers? Does anyone remain to condemn her? And she assured him, no one, sir. And he declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus doesn't explicitly refer to the sin of adultery. He says, leave your life of sin. Nor does Jesus explicitly offer the woman forgiveness, but it surely is applied, implied, isn't it? He called her to respond with her own self-examination and repentance and to turn from sin and to amend her life. Jesus showed her mercy and called her to righteousness just as he had her accusers. Now, what do you say? That question is, of course, the one that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had asked Jesus when they dragged the woman before him and announced her crime of adultery. But that question lingered in their minds as they walked away from Jesus and from the woman. And as they contemplated the words, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Now what do you say? Don't you wonder how these men responded besides just walking away as they were presented with the opportunity to 
to begin again and to write the rest of the story of their lives. The question, now what do you say, also lingered as Jesus commanded the woman, go now and leave your life of sin. Did she receive Jesus' invitation to repent and accept the forgiveness and the grace that Jesus was offering her? Did she turn and leave her life of sin to live for God? Today, the question, now what do you say, still lingers with us, with you and with me. And it calls us to discern how we will write the rest of the story of our lives. It invites us to stay prayerfully in the presence of, of Jesus for a while. As he again kneels in silence and writes words or draws on the ground. It invites us to comp contemplate the words, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. As you stay in Jesus' presence, will you dare to examine your shortcomings and your failures that you too might repent and be released from their burden? Will you look at the events of your lives during this past maybe two or three weeks through Jesus' eyes? Will you look at your relationships? Where in anger have you thrown the stone? Or secretly delighted in the shortcomings and misfortunes of another? Or maybe, where are you still bearing a grudge against someone who did you wrong? These and others are the kinds of questions that Jesus asks you and me as he writes on the ground. But the great thing is, Jesus doesn't just ask the questions. I mean, it's marvelous that he asks us the questions, but it's even better that he just doesn't ask us the questions. You see, through his radical love and forgiveness, he offers to you and to me the answer to sin and the power of evil in our lives. He is the redeemer and he is our deliverance that breaks the cycle of sin in our lives and leads us in ways to live abundantly and triumphantly. He is the hope to break the chains of resentment and retaliation and violence and hostility. And that's what he did when he forgave the woman caught in adultery. It's what he did when, when he spoke to that thief that was also nailed to a cross on Calvary. And he told them, today you will be with me in paradise. And it is what he can do for you and for me when we trust him and we allow him to let his love and forgiveness break the sin in our lives and help us to begin again. But then also to work in this community and our local community and in the world, bringing forgiveness to the world. He allows us to truly write a new story 
in our lives. Now, what do you say? Today, will you begin to write the rest of your story with Jesus? That is what Jesus is calling us to when he says, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. He's calling us to write a new story. In the words of the great Methodist hymn writer Charles Wesley, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. We don't have to live in the bondage of sin. There is someone who is without sin, who is the light of the world, who can show you the way to life and to life abundantly. Now, what do you say? Will you follow Jesus? Will you let him into your life more and more? Let us pray. Radical and loving Christ, our Lord Jesus, your sons and your daughters here ask you to come into our lives. For some, it's the first time that they have prayed that prayer to, to ask you to come in and take over and to be Lord and Savior. For others, they are recommitting themselves to a relationship with you. Forgive us all for the sin that we hold on to and help us to start anew as we ask for your forgiveness. We want a relationship with you. We want you to walk with us and to give us your grace that we might faithfully walk with you. Amen. If there is someone here that prayed that prayer asking Jesus into your life, whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're on the live stream or you are part of watching an archive version, I encourage you to tell someone. And I encourage you to, to perhaps call me that we might talk further about what are the next steps that you might take in your life to walk with Jesus. My extension is 104 here at the church. I await your call. In the name of Jesus, amen.